0: Ambition Empower is a professional education program. It's directed towards design leaders and UX professionals interested in upping their game through a continuous learning journey that engages you in small chunks every week during your membership. Find out more by visiting uxpodcast.com empower.
1: UX Podcast Episode 289
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Royal Lawson.
2: And Pan Axbom.
0: Balancing business, technology, people, and society with listeners all over the world from Barbados to Germany. Although, to be honest, just this last month, there's only been one listener in Barbados. But hello to you, whoever you are.
2: That would be fantastic for them to reach out to us.
0: They would, actually. <laughs> <laughs> or if it was someone on holiday. I don't mind. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Today, we have for you our interview with Abby Covert. Uh, She's the author of How to Make Sense of Any Mess, and she is very soon, it feels like any day now when you're listening to this, back with a new book. Uh, So yes, there are plenty of books cataloging and analyzing beautiful diagrams that help someone who was stuck. But many books provide diagrams, templates, or visualization methods that help in certain contexts, and on specific types of problems.
0: Well, there's a surprising lack of education on diagramming. Like, where do you start? How do you know what to do first, next, and last? And how do you know if what you are doing is working? Abby's new book is called Stuck, The Purpose, Process, and Craft of Diagramming.
2: And this interview uh, with Abby was done in collaboration with Ambition and Power, where we we record interviews in front of a live audience uh, which is really cool and those people listening in live as we're recording is the ambition Empower community who are attending the tracks of the ambition Empower
0: program and get to ask questions to our guests at the end of the interview. as well yes yeah
2: that, that's always a fun part
0: it is and dad jokes lots of dad jokes
2: I think one of the benefits that I see with ambition and power, when I, why I like it so much, and one, why I'm one of the track leaders there as well, is because uh, you think of uh, learning and and, and competence uh, management in, in conferences, uh, as or you visit conferences and you, God, the sounded is really bad. I'm starting <laughs> over.
0: <laughs> Good.
2: I think the reason. Uh, I like the ambition and power concept so much is because I complained a lot over the years where you you visit conferences you get really inspired you get all these new insights but it's really hard to incorporate them into your everyday work but with ambition and power you're actually you're being inspired and getting those insights week by week you're actually learning as you go along which makes so it makes more sense to apply that into what you're doing every day into your everyday work which makes it really easy for someone to participate as much as you can but then also think about what was I doing just this morning in the project and how can, how can I apply what I just learned from an ambition of power.
0: Continuous learning. So Abby perhaps a good place to start us off is by explaining to us what is a diagram although hold on I think actually we're going to flip that Can you tell us then what's not a diagram
1: oh thank you so much for that i did not pay them for this entry but this is such a great (laughs) question to start with so i'm gonna i'm gonna back up because i think that you know you all are a little bit of a ringer here because you're you're working on understanding what my definition of diagram is for my new book um so my definition is a, a visual representation that helps someone and the really important word there is helps um, I think in answering your question. So what is not a diagram is a visual representation that doesn't help anyone. Um, and I think that there's a lot of those. Uh, there's a lot of things that look like diagrams in terms of you know, connecting shapes with lines and words in boxes. But when you actually get into the content of it, we have all had that experience where it actually doesn't make much sense at all. Um, and having taught in business conferences and art schools and in agency settings and in-house, I'm seeing a lot of that going on masquerading as diagrams. So I thought it was really important that we think about both sides because I see a lot of focus on the visual representation side of finding the right template and visually executing it in the right way. But what about that other part? What about the part where we actually make sense of the thing enough that it makes sense to somebody else? Um, and I think that that also applies to ourselves which is a really interesting thread that I've kind of um, wove through this this new book. It's like we can use diagrams just to help ourselves. So the someone in the definition, sometimes is us. Um, and I see a lot of diagrams for other people born from diagrams that we make for ourselves. You know, We get stuck on a large subject matter and we're trying to work our way through it. And we make this big messy diagram trying to figure it out. And then once we have our point of view solid we might make a more simplified diagram to take to other people. Um, so there's a lot of that, that that I think is kind of inherent in, in design, but also outside of design. I mean, you're seeing diagrams in every profession from, you know, teaching to law. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's really fascinating.
2: Wow, I love that. That's so, so much to unpack there, actually, because that definition of diagram where you're, you're talking about yourself. Uh, uh, me personally, I draw a lot of mind maps like to prepare for interviews like this as well. But,, sure. uh, in that case, that mind map might not make sense to anyone else. But in that right. case, since I myself am the target group, it would be, it would be a diagram, but it wouldn't be a diagram exactly. that works for everyone.
1: right. And like think about um, I don't know if this has ever happened to y'all, but have you ever like made a really cool diagram to figure something out on like a project, and then somebody on the project team wanted you to take like a little tiny picture of it and put it on a slide so that everybody knew how much work you did? That's yes. not a diagram. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's kind of helpful in letting them know that you like did a lot of work and thought about a lot of stuff and like have a lot of knowledge that they do not have and cannot unlock from that image, but it's not actually a diagram. It's, it's not meant for them. So yeah, you're, you're right on. If you make that diagram and it's for you and it helps you with your purpose, gets you to the place where you don't feel stuck, great. Now, if you take that and you unroll it in front of your whole team and use it to confuse them and make them feel like they don't understand the thing as well as you... I mean, I guess that's still helping you, but it's not a really great piece of the diagram.
0: That's, yeah, because that's a really interesting point there, that kind of boundary between something as a diagram and note-taking. Because I mean, in some ways, your mind map pair, that's a form of personal note-taking,
1: yeah. but
0: it's kind of a diagram as well possibly yeah. or in some context absolutely.
1: yeah no it's absolutely a diagram and i mean there's oh. things that you're working out on that page for yourself that would enable you to make better diagrams for other people on that same subject so that messy mental model diagram or concept diagram that you're making of what you think is getting onto the page the territory you have to explore before you can actually do it much for other people at all so in my experience even when i'm making diagrams for other people that messy first diagram is almost always for me you know, it's, yeah. it's my map to the territory and it's not something that everybody needs to see, um, which kind of changes the rules about, like, what it has to look like and how bounded it really needs to be. Exactly.
2: And that's such okay. a beautiful segue into these phases that you talk about with the first phase of, I think it was called understanding at first, but now you call it exploration uh, and mm-hmm. then modeling and then discovery. Delivery. Uh, which delivery. May- delivery, sorry, delivery. Yeah. And, and, and um what we're talking about then is that it's fine that the first thing you do is actually for yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And the words and the labels are for yourself as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's something that I actually have come to that uh, late in my career as an information architect. I used to be so dogged about getting people to agree on the labels early on in the process, and I used to say things like, "No, if we can't figure out a label for it, then it's it, it, you know, it's not it's not a thing. Like we can't." If it's got to be named something, you know, crazy to get through the conversation, then maybe it's not a strong enough object to like survive. Um, When in reality, sometimes you really do need to call something by like a shorthand until you have more information on it. So, yeah, one of the, the things I recommend in the new book is looking at labels through those three phases and looking at what the intention of the label really is. Because early in the process, we are literally just trying to get it out of our heads. And sometimes it comes out really messy. You know, it'll be half nouns, half verbs, some of it will be plural, some of it, of it will be really active. some of it will be really passive, get it out of your head before you start putting the judgment on it, because it can actually expose different ways that you might do things. And then as we get closer to delivery, that's when we're actually putting that pressure on the label to get results. Like what is the thing that you're actually trying to intend to do? And are these labels getting you there?
0: So that's interesting though, because some we often talk about how a sh- well a shared vocabulary in a team or a group of people is a, is a really important thing to 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 have in order to yeah. go forward as a team in the right way. But what we're saying now is that you don't want, I guess, is what you're saying anyway, that you don't want that process of building a shared vocabulary to stop the process of creating a useful diagram.
1: Yeah, and sometimes I find that the diagram is the way into the vocabulary. So there's this really interesting um, conversation to be had about what is an object versus a label for that object, because identifying early in your process what the objects are is incredibly important. And I don't think that that changes based on this latest thought. But figuring out what the label for that thing is, that is something that can come later on, needs to be iterated on all the time, and multiples can exist, right? Like that same object might need to appear to three different user bases under three different labels, whether that's for a language reason or an accessibility reason or a reason just context. I mean, think about like mm-hmm. the same object being seen by a doctor versus a patient. You might have a slightly different label change for those two audiences, but it's still representing the same object. And I think that from a diagramming standpoint, it's really important to represent those objects on the diagram. But figuring out exactly the words to use to get that point across is something that does tend to get tweaked all the way up until the end. It also seems to be, to me, it seems to be the place where other people have the most opinions to come in on our diagrams. Like I don't see people being like, oh no, move that over there, or I don't like that line there. It's more like, I don't feel comfortable with the way you label that. Um, And so that like iteration that happens in the collaboration cycle, I find also is happening a lot on the label side.
0: I'm getting flashbacks to all those years. We're doing like sitemaps and and, and doing new website structures. And those arguments, when you hit those kind of trigger words and people, oh, no, no, you can't call it that. And you kind of, you end up unpacking like decades of company history of why you're not allowed to call that. But I want to call it that. That's the right word.
1: Yeah. But try to elicit that reaction with a spreadsheet.
0: Yeah.
1: They see it in a spreadsheet and somehow it's like, "Oh, oh, this is like back there. It's like back there stuff. They see it in a map, though, that's representing the navigation scheme of their whole website. And all of a sudden they got real opinions about that word. I, I find that fascinating. I mean, it, I, I wrote in my first book about linguistic insecurity and like this idea of like people talking over your head and you, you sort of like feel like the thing is not meant for you. And in the new book, I'm talking about diagrammatic insecurity because I think mm. that that happens. Right. You like open up the thing and you're like, whoa, this is not for me. Closing it back up. Um, and, man, I, I open a lot of systems diagrams that I'm supposed to understand, but elicit that exact reaction in me.
2: Oh, that makes me think that, well, so there should also be, like, iterations of the same diagram, depending. But now we're talking again, of course, about the target group. But if somebody Audience, isn't yeah. confident reading those types of diagrams, they start with a section of the diagram. This is how you read this part. Okay. And then you add on yeah. to it.
1: Or, I mean, really, like call to question how much of that information they need to have and if it's in the format that they need it at all you know Mm because I think in some cases it's not um in some cases it's like a you need to clarify through the execution of the diagram the visual vocabulary that you chose but I also see a lot of like over explaining how we codified our diagram and relying on other people to decode it Um, so I think like there's a there's a really fine line between like Teaching somebody your diagram and making a diagram that is able to be um, accessed without having to be taught by another yeah. person, or especially by the maker.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you yeah, you have to be completely aware of your audience in order to make yeah. that decision. Yeah. Big
1: time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That makes me think that so many people accept diagrams because they look beautiful, uh, oh, and they're so easily amazing. marketed that way as well. Uh, whereas yeah. what uh, one big takeaway from from early on in your book for me was that when we were talking about the definition of it, if I decide that the diagram is done when it's useful, that means I can stop earlier.
1: Exactly. It mm-hmm. doesn't need to be gorgeous. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be visually stunning. I mean, I've had the opportunity to teach diagrams in art school and design school, and there's something that has happened every time I've run a group critique in a room like that somebody puts up a beautiful diagram like it's beautifully rendered it has gradients and custom icons it's got beautiful typography from 10 feet away and then you get up close to it and you start to actually try to consume what they're trying to tell you with this diagram knowing that you're the audience they made this Mm -hmm. diagram for this room and it all starts to fall down and i think like that is a really interesting wrinkle that we have in design education, because if we are only focusing on the visual representation part, there's a lot of things out there masquerading as diagrams. And I mean, if you look at like the infographics thing and the chart junk thing, I mean, that's really where that's coming from, is that like there is a ubiquity of these types of images in culture today. And so it is becoming imperative for users of those things to know if they are good or not. Versus, you know, you can look at a beautiful thing and it can be full of lies and mistruths um, or be made to manipulate you into thinking that something is true that's not. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting part of, of diagrams. And I'm glad that you got that part. So, yay. <laughs> it
2: means I, I, I spend, spend less time on it, which is perfect.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, sometimes you don't need to, like, just completely continue yeah. down the path of visual perfectionism just because you think you need to make it pretty to be accepted. I mean... The best diagrams I have made have been walking up to whiteboard in a complicated moment where everybody in the room is totally stuck, Mm. drawing a square and going, is this what you mean? Or do you mean like this? Mm. And then they go, no, this way. And then they're up there and we're up there and you walk out. I mean, it looks like hieroglyphics. Nobody knows what we were Mm. talking about in that room. That's not what it was for. But if we were to take a picture of that, put it into a deck and expect people to understand it, it's no longer a diagram. So yeah. it was, when we were making it, it was for us as the audience in the moment, but mm. taking that thing and using it exactly the way we left it as mm. a diagram for another audience out of context, it would be just visual representation, just proof that we did a thing mm. and not expected to to help anybody.
0: I think as well about, if you've gone beyond the point you need to to achieve the, well, to communicate what you want with your, or you've intended to with your diagram, then I guess you're running the risk of, of getting to the zone of things like shame and and showing off i mean you're people in the group if you spent so much time making the pretty diagram that you do get that reaction like you've seen some of these workshops and so on and go, oh my god your your diagram's so good and they feel them bad about their own diagrams or their own work yeah. but you yeah. you didn't need to go that far to get the point across
1: yeah i mean we're we're judging them by the way that we know to judge things hung on the wall which is visual mm-hmm. aesthetic Right. Yeah. Like we're walking up to it like a painting in an art gallery and going, that's beautiful. That's not beautiful. And therefore, that must be a good diagram and that must be a bad diagram. Um, I think that taking a second look at that first as a student of diagramming, but second, as a consumer of diagrams, I think it's really important. You know, there's there's diagrams all around us. Most of them are not visually pleasing. <laughs> that's that's the, the ticket. But you're missing mm-hmm. a lot if you pigeonhole yourself as a, a person who has access to that skill. You're pigeonholing yourself but by, by not doing it because you can't get to that kind of visual perfection place.
2: And you're also making it more difficult to collaborate, I assume, because a big part of diagramming within organizations is collaborating. And if you fe- make other people feel insecure, they won't be able to feel comfortable to participate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to somebody recently mm. who told me that when they go into a room with a stakeholder to critique a diagram, they always have a, um, a spelling error on the diagram so that they can take a big Sharpie marker. Oh. And like before the person even gets into it, they could be like, oh, this I'm so sorry. This is actually misspelled. Let me just take care of that. And they just like write all over it mm. because it opens up this idea that like this thing is changeable. And I think that like when you have when you have the superpower of visual representation, you can get away with a lot, you know, you can convince people that something's a lot more thought through than it actually is. And I, I think that that's, that's something that um, more people need to to know and press on, especially if mm. we're going to live in this crazy cross-channel modern world that <laughs> we do, we're going to need diagrams even more than ever before.
0: Well, that makes me think though, i read you say that um, with the intention that um, diagrams, it, it might be that what you think a diagram is useful for isn't necessarily what you need to do with it you can there's something other than a diagram that might actually help you
1: yeah yeah in setting your intention for a diagram I've, I've thought a lot about like what makes a good intention and one of the worst ones that I found is when the intention is just to visualize it like I'm right. just going to make a visual of this thing tends to take us down a path of prioritizing the visual part and, and not focusing on the helpfulness. Mm-hmm. So with my students, I found that like pressing them on not using that as an intention and really asking them se- themselves the question of like, when I do come to my intention, is it something that I can do with a diagram? You know, we don't want diagrams to like get a bad rap for failing on on us for big things. But also like, can this be done without a diagram? Because I think that makes for a stronger case for the diagram to actually come in, is to, to mm-hmm. know that it's maybe not the right solution, but you're mm-hmm. going to go down that, that path. I also find that like a lot of times people don't know they're having a diagram until they're kind of in the middle of having it, you know, they're like doing something else. They're writing a a thing. They're, they're doing a presentation, whatever it is. And they run into a part where they get stuck and they start to visualize it for themselves. And then at a certain point they go, wait a second, maybe this is actually useful for somebody else. And then they add that in. And sometimes they know what a diagram is, and sometimes they don't, you know, it's just like a, I know a visual would be helpful here is a very human drive, I think.
0: I think when you mentioned um, doing a presentation there, that made me think of the, as I suppose, template-itis that you you kind of get pushed into diagrams really quickly, really early on by mm. a lot of the presentation tools we have. That like you've got yeah. wizards and buttons. You just press something and poof, you've got a tree yeah. map or something. And you've, you're intended to complete that template rather than actually, I guess, think it through.
1: Yeah, yeah. I really worry about that because I... There's two parts to it. One, I see a lot of people who are completely capable diagrammers that are just wasting time looking for the template instead of like making their own diagram, you know, (laughs) like doing it. But then I think more sadly, what I see is people that are new in the field not having permission for themselves to do that. Like they truly feel like the problems have been thought out. The canvases and tools exist. The methods are named after people that I can Google and see things about them that seem fancy. Let's just go with this. And that is also release really that like I with my students in Micah one of them asked me in a, um, a question and answer session recently they were like I have this thing that is kind of like a hierarchy but then I have this other thing that's kind of like a flow what should I do and I was just like well what do you think you should do just like I think I should put them together and do something that's neither a hierarchy or a flow it's like great why don't you do that just like well, that's not a hierarchy and that's not a flow it's something else what is yeah. it? And I'm like, I don't know. We could call it your name when we're done if it's really useful <laughs> to somebody else to use a template. Like, yeah. how do you think all these templates got made? Somebody decided that there needed to be a new way. They made it and then they named it, you know?
2: Interesting. I actually had a question about have computers made the diagramming more uncommon, but I'm I think it's actually the opposite. It's just it's it's more common, yeah. but it's actually just worse because of all the templates.
1: Yeah, Ooh. well, so you have to kind of, you have to take it back, right? Like diagrams, first of all, diagrams, not modern at all. <laughs> like Completely <laughs> the least modern technology mm. in our technology realm. Mm. Um, we've been diagramming for, I think, like the length of humanity. Uh, when we put pictures of, of, simplified pictures of animals on cave walls to remind other people that those might eat you or be good to eat, that was diagramming. Um, and so I think like, if you look into the the history of it, specifically with technology, Um, A lot of the modern forms that we have in diagramming today, uh, whether that's like flow diagrams or block diagrams or swim lanes, like a lot of that was born of the industrial revolution. Uh, But when the kind of paint got put on it would be when the tools started to go digital and you started to see ubiquity of many professions having access to those things through the the chart wizards and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So yeah, it's, it's really wild to see like, how similar all of the diagrams are starting to look based on the tools that exist. Um, I'm really hopeful that some of that will start to change at some point. But <laughs> but for now, all the journey maps look the same. And that's, you know, that's the suburbs of diagrams, I guess.
2: And we're spending more and more time in online meetings, which makes it difficult to just, well, let's just start drawing together here.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I think the online whiteboarding tools are, are wonderful. I mean, just like having that, innovation during my career has been life-changing like the fact that i can be in florida and working with the team anywhere in the world on a diagram in real time and that i don't have to like save versions of it and email it to people anymore that's magical um but yeah it also creates a lot of new interaction design challenges that we didn't have in diagrams before like being able to Uh, zoom in and out of them really easily or like the tools that allow you to create kind of paths through that auto zoom people into sections and stuff. You know, that's all that's all relatively new for us to figure out from like how do you teach people to do that in their work tools? But then also how do you design diagrams that are able to support that level of depth, right? Because like it's almost like having multiple layers on a diagram is possible now, um, which is really cool. You know, I, I think that there's a lot there, but you can also get lost and god there's so much here um you know i think it's very often for me to see that like those ever expanding canvases lead to ever expanding diagrams and i Mm -hmm. have not seen many ever expanding diagrams that are useful (laughs) to people or helpful so yeah Yeah. kind of a a, a a blessing and a curse yeah yeah,
0: as a note-taking tool it kind of works but i think we're, we're kind of dissing a bit of the tools and some of the templates and everything now but um thinking back I mean you know when when I was at school we had like uh, we had stencils for doing flowcharts in, in computer science you know, and that was yeah. a, a, effectively a template or rather mm. it was it was helping me structure my diagrams in a on my flowcharts in a uniform way
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I mean and, and we're not we're not dissing that are we? I mean, I know, um, no, I mean, you, no,
1: it, no, I think the visual consistency is definitely a tool and a tactic that one can use in diagrams. It also doesn't work for all things. You know, there's, mm. there's some uh, diagrams that need to be ornate or very highly decorative to be accepted into the, the place in the world that they're supposed to fit. Um, but I think like the the diagramming tools that we have today, I think are very limited to like which templates they tend to represent. Um, But they also like on the positive side, major, they're like opening up the potential for more people to diagram. I mean, the closest that a lot of the business users that I've worked with had before was PowerPoint. And, you know, that's a great diagramming tool. P.S. Thank you, Microsoft. But um, it also is really limiting and it's specifically limiting in terms of like what you can do from a visual styling perspective. Um, and so, yeah, I think like the fact that those, that same market seems to have been targeted for these templates that are in these whiteboarding tools. I think that that's actually really cool because I, I feel like there's a lot of business users that would use diagrams if they didn't think that they were owned by design or needed to be made by designers, you know, because they have to be pretty. Um, so those templates give them that starting place to like, no, oh no, you you can make a You too can make a journey, map if you just drag and drop this template and start typing words. Hmm.
2: So there's an aspect that was really important that I took away as well uh, of diagrams that is often there that we see, and it's called the key. And for everyone listening and wondering what I'm talking about, it's often that a small area on a diagram or a map that explains what all the different symbols mean. But you were saying also it, it doesn't have to have a key. The important thing is that people understand it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think that like one of the main questions that I get from folks is, does every diagram have to have a key that visually explains the diagram? Like, do you need if you make a hierarchy map and you have two different colors of boxes, do you need to have that represented somewhere else on the diagram in a box called key? Um, I thought about this really hard. Like, first, I wanted it to be like, yep, you always need that. But then as I looked at diagrams that I myself have made, I realized how many of them did not have keys. And I started to really ask myself why that was. Like, why would I ignore advice that I would give to my own students about diagrams? And what I started to believe was that it actually is more important for us to look at the diagram towards the completion point through the user's eyes one last time to figure out what is the key to understanding this diagram? And do I need to be super explicit and verbal about that in this diagram by making a box called key and explaining myself, or are there other visual elements, mostly labels, uh, that I might be able to add that are gonna make this come to life without having to look at a key. Now, this might be like, well, that is kind of pedantic. Like, why not? What does it matter? It could be in the key, it could be on the diagram. What's the difference? The difference is um, the cognitive load of your diagram will be different if you ask a user to travel down to a box called key, keep something in their mind to travel back up to decode your diagram. And it might seem small, um, but it's not. It's actually, it piles up on people. And the more you ask them to decode um, from going to key to back to diagram, the less they're gonna understand your diagram or the more likely it will be that they'll misunderstand your diagram. So I think that that's, it's a critical point. like Just by adding a key and explaining yourself exhaustively does not make for useful diagrams, right? You can have a key, everything can be explained overexplained and it can be unhelpful in terms of the, the kind of takeaway
2: exactly the presence of the key can actually be an indication that you've you've made a poorly designed diagram and you're trying to explain yes. it away
1: exactly like how many diagrams mm. have you seen where you have to like you're looking at it you're going i know these colors are supposed to mean something okay let me go mm. to the key i'm gonna see. oh okay so pink means this and green means that and then you go back to the diagram and you're looking at it and you're going wait does pink mean wait what does green mean mm. crap was it green that meant yeah. that and pink that meant that? And then you got to go back down. I mean, it's, you know, it is work and it's often work that should have been done by the maker of the diagram that has been offloaded to the users of the diagram. Hmm. I,
0: was, I was just about to ask a question about keys and then I realized it wasn't really a question about the keys. It was actually more, okay, I'll, I'll ask it. So what's the difference then between a, a key a caption and a legend.
1: Mm, okay. So my understanding is that a legend and a key are synonymous. So I think that that's okay. like a stylistic choice of what we, what we call things. Um, what was the second one that you said?
0: Uh, I said key caption and legend. So caption. Uh, caption. Is the one. Yeah. yeah. So, so a heading, I guess a name for your, yeah. your diagram, I suppose.
1: Yeah, so the headline and caption elements of diagrams, I think, are, are really important. They often are the places that you can kind of um, pull information from that key to make things more clear, whether it's in positioning the diagram um, with a really bold headline that kind of tells the user what you're expecting them to do with this thing, or um, by making more context clear with the, the encoding that you've used in the diagram kind of thin line. Um, so yeah, I think that like they're, they're similar. They're all related, mm-hmm. but slightly different.
0: Exactly, and I think that's where where my brain was going with this, because when we are saying about, well, keys, you don't want to use them too much, you get too deep into explaining your diagram. And then I started to think yeah. about, well, I'm going to probably make use of a caption then to do some kind of summary rather than rely on a, a key.
1: Sure, yeah, captions yeah. are really important. And while we're talking about captions, let's talk about accessibility. Alt text, incredibly important for diagrams, but perhaps more important is alternative content. Um, because there is there is mm. a point at which explaining the visual part of a diagram actually isn't um, important or necessary to support uh, a user that has accessibility needs. So similar to writing a caption, you really want to think about like, what is the goal of this thing? With a caption, mm. um, you're writing something that adds context to the diagram. With alternative content, you're writing something that replaces the diagram that still gets the same point across.
0: Oh, that's an excellent um, that's a point. F- yeah. Fantastic Let's- point. Yeah, I mean, the, you, turn, you turn the background it, yeah. red.
1: I was like, we're running out of time and we haven't said the word accessibility yet. So I'm going to it's make perfect. it work. And it did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I, I love this. Uh, one, one insight that came to me as I was reading your book and watching your talks and was that it's easy for things to get confrontational confrontational when you get want to get a point across. I mean this, but with a diagram, you get people to have the insight themselves which means that hey. it's, they're, it's, they're more likely to actually accept that insight rather yeah. than you're telling
1: them. Yeah, that's a beautiful thought. It's almost like they're looking at the diagram and they're going, oh, that's what you think? Mm. That's not what I think at all. And you can kind of have a chuckle mm. about it versus like, mm. I think this and mm. I think that you don't agree. Mm. You know, like yeah. having that verbally or who wants to do that without a diagram?
2: Thank you for unpacking diagrams for us and explaining all their power, uh, which is huge, I know, because I've seen seen so much stuff going on with diagrams, both good and bad. And I love the definition that you have with them actually being useful. Thank you for that. I'm <laughs> gonna be start pointing to diagrams and saying, that's not a diagram, that's not a diagram, that's that's
1: a... <laughs> Just a visual representation, hoping to make it the diagram town one day.
2: <laughs> oh, it's fantastic to talk to you again, Abby. Thank you for being on the show.
1: It's lovely to see you both, thank you.
2: So I think what what Abby is doing and what she's representing here is this fantastic art of information architecture, which sometimes feels like it's sort of a lost art in the world of UX, uh, at least to me. It's this uh, attention to detail, uh, willingness to spend time with complexity and, and really get to grips with how the smallest of things can affect and change a whole organization. And so just this concept of making diagrams to explain diagrams is so meta, and that is information architecture for me. Yeah,
0: that that um, <laughs> uh, structure and um, and order and yeah, visualizing some of this complexity um, in a, in a more accessible way. And yeah, one of the we're talking about meta, the the one of the diagrams from of book is is nice because it's um, I like how um, it touches on the idea that, well, we talked about, we complain about how icons, for example, these, they aren't any universally um, understood icons, basically. They're very, very few. Mm. You can't just pull out an icon and say, ah, everyone knows what that means. Mm. Um, so we when, just when thinking about that with, um, uh, with diagramming. Uh, you know, are, there, are there universally understood elements to diagrams? Is there, a, is there certain things you can apply in diagrams that everyone's going to know what you mean by that? Mm. Um, and my, my instant response is going to be, no, because we've said that about icons. So, <laughs> you know, it kind of fits that it would say about um, diagram, elements of diagrams as well. Well, Abby's got a, um, a diagram in her book that just uh, exemplifies um, four ways you can visualize re- relationships um, in diagrams. Um, and, and it's it's, it, it is a wonderful diagram because it's 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 brutally simple, but very very effective. Um, shall I try and audibly describe yes. a diagram about diagramming? Mm. Yes, this is this is real real meta level now. Go for per. it. Okay, so <laughs> this diagram has four different um, relationships described in it. Um, one of them is. Well, they're all based on this and that, okay? So the first one is, this is part of that. Where this is inside a small box, which in itself is inside a bigger box with the word that. So Mm. this is part of that. Mm. Another one is, this leads to that. And in that one, this is a box with an arrow pointing to another box with the word that in it. So this it's this mm. leads to that. Third one is um, this is a type of that. Here you've got that as a as a box, kind of looks like a label, I guess, with a line mm. connecting it to a slightly smaller box or label with this in it.
2: Where the, this is indented, yeah. so it's indented from, marginally from yeah. the left. So the
0: combination of so the size you know. and the line, implying mm. that um, oh. This is a type of that, and that of course could be repeated. So you, the diagram doesn't do this, but you would have several thises, maybe, or, um, or to visualise it was several different things that were a type of that. Um, and the fourth one, um, this relates to that. Now this one looks very very similar to the this leads to that, where it's it's a box with this in and a line across to another box with that in, but here. Hmm. It's just a line, not an arrow. So it's they're connected, but there's no direction mm. attached to it or hierarchy attached. Exactly. To it. Mm. So so just this just this one diagram actually it, it, it contains a huge amount of information and and a lot of useful um, tips on how on how to do diagrams.
2: And like you said, brutally simple, but still so very important to remind yourself, yes, it maybe feels obvious, but when it's so clearly described, it makes you more careful and attentive when actually grappling with the task of making a really good diagram. I don't remember if you, ever, if you remember, uh, James, when I was drawing this system map of, of pandemic mm. relationships, and I had arrows between elements because this, when this thing increases, it will also increase the spread of the virus, and I had an arrow in between, but sometimes it decreases the spread of the virus, and I still had an arrow, but I didn't know how to make people understand how do I add and subtract. So really, according to this model, I was I was just saying this leads to that. I was I wasn't really implying that it would increase or decrease. So I was actually doing that um, diagram a bit wrong, which why which is why I was struggling with yeah, it so and,
0: much. Which is really good, there, Per, Is that I, I know <laughs> yeah. that you shared that diagram, you tested it. And you got feedback. Yes. And this goes back to what we said yes. about, you know, there's no universally understood icons mm-hmm. and are these universally understood elements mm-hmm. of diagramming. And Abby said, mm-hmm. you've got to test your your diagrams and, and see mm-hmm. whether they work and learn whether they work with the audience they were intended to work with. And if they don't quite work, then you tweak them. Exactly. Yes. It's a, <laughs> so it's a great point. UX process. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. It is really. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I guess, what you can pull from it is how it applies to everything we do. Uh, just thinking about these details, I think. I think the thing that really sticks with me is Are you stuck.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, but the things so, that's <laughs> oh, I'm doing dad jokes before we finished. <laughs> I, this,
2: what I, I think what I mentioned in the show as well, make the diagram so it performs its purpose and don't do more than that. There are so many things we, we just, we keep going even though we're actually done. But also the second part of my my two big takeaways is ensure that every visual element is clear in its intention and its meaning. So these two concepts together, they really encourage you to look at every element, every arrow and label that we just talked about and consider, is this enough? And is it understandable understandable for the target group? Okay, then you're done, mm. which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, I think this. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. But you, I think we could get into a real philosophical discussion about, like, you know, what's um, what's sketching, what's diagramming, what's prototyping. Like perhaps even what's, what's UX mm. or what's information architecture. This, the, we could have, if, in fact, I can imagine us spending three hours talking to Abby mm. about this and, and having wonderful time <laughs> yes. and still maybe not fitting it all in three hours. Um, but instead of going into that, maybe recommended listening is a good way of taking this forward. So we can, we can listen to, well, we have listened to Abby now and talked to Abby. But next up, you can maybe listen to episode 234, where we talked visual thinking with Evelot Lamb.
2: Oh yeah, that's a good one. We... That's one, one of my favorite episodes. I talk about it a lot. Uh, it's, it's just that in itself, speaking of philosophy, that for me is like really like understanding life almost. Mm. It's it's so, when you listen to it, you'll understand what I mean. It's like a philosophy for coping with uh, struggles in life, but through sketching, explained through yeah. sketching. Okay, what a
0: wonderful <laughs> toolbox this with with I'll be helping you when you're stuck, and ever lot of lamb, Mm -hmm. getting you through life by sketching.
2: Oh, excellent! Yes, remember to keep moving.
0: See you on the other
1: side.
2: So James, why did the nurse always have a red pen?
0: I don't know, Per. Why did the nurse always have a red pen? In case he needed to draw blood.